Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you turn, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at Baptist Community Church in Arco, Idaho, and also Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us today for our study of God's Word. We're continuing a series called Love Like That. Five Relationship Secrets from Jesus, Learning to Love Other People the Way Jesus Loves Us. Last week we talked about how Jesus was mindful, and now today we're talking about the fact that Jesus was approachable. He made people feel included. We have this tremendous need to feel included. And you can probably remember a time in your life when you felt excluded. That's probably burned into your brain. I remember my first track practice as a ninth grader. I never had on a pair of sweat bottoms before. So I pulled them on and I pulled the drawstring and completely pulled it out one side so that it was out and couldn't get it back in the hole on the other side. So the way I solved it was I took a regular belt of mine off my pants and put it around the sweat bottoms so you can imagine how effective I was running that day. Pants falling down the, the entire day. And so came to the end of the practice and they picked about 31 guys on the track team. The two captains picked sides. It was an uneven number. So guess who got picked number 31 out of 31? Uh, that would be me. I was the only one that didn't have anybody to run with. I was picked last after the shot putters and the discus throwers. By the way, in my notes, I misprint and I put the disco throwers. The, those are actually the greatest athletes of all, those that can throw disco. That's, that's just whatever. So at any rate, uh, it, I can still remember that. And, and I'm sure you have incidents like that from childhood or from youth or from adulthood when you felt excluded. Psychologists call our need to be included our affiliative drive. Uh, social scientists call our, our longing for belonging, they call it assimilation or social webbing. Others call it fellowship or connecting. You know, for those of you that are new to Purpose Church, let me give you the story of our name. Uh, we're 149, next year will be 150 years old, and for 146 of those years, we were First Baptist Church of Pomona, or Pomona First Baptist Church. But then we wanted to have a name. I, I believe that a church stays fresh. How you do that after a century and a half, which is very unusual for a church to still be pumping for Jesus after 150 years. Well, the way you do that is you keep having an outward focus. As soon as we become inward focused, my needs, my needs, my needs, that's when you begin to lose your vision and your purpose. You have to always be looking outside uh, to those outside the walls of the church. And so we wanted to change our name to reflect that. And so we asked a Christian consulting company from down in Orange County, give us a couple of words that are the most attractive to those that are not yet following Jesus, that most resonates with them. The two words they came up with was purpose and connect. Purpose, because everybody desires to have a purpose for their life, and connect, because everybody wants to belong. Everybody has this insatiable inner need to be included, and, and we'll, we'll go to great lengths not to be left out. There's this classic uh, psychological experiment conducted in 1951 by Solomon Ash, in, in which uh, eight participants would come into this experiment. Seven of them were in on the experiment. One was not. And so they'd sit around a table and they'd show them two cards that looked like this. One, the identical size line to C, and then one that was shorter A and one that was longer B. And then they would ask them, which one most matches this one here? And they'd go around the table and have the, the eighth person that wasn't in on it, they'd have him or her go last. And the other seven all either said A 
or B, even though it was obvious the answer was C, 75% of the time, the person that was not in on it chose those letters as well. Even though his or her eyes told him that was not true, just to feel included with the others, just to go along with the others, 75% of the time, they would pick, we would pick, if we were in the experiment, we would pick uh, one of those just to go along with the other seven. Uh, We compare that to the approachability of Jesus. One of the things that was so attractive about him was he made people feel included. He made people feel like they belonged. He, He was approachable. Uh, let's look at this story as told by one of the biographers of, of Jesus' life named Luke. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed owed him 500 denarii, and the other only 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman who felt so excluded from this gathering was made by Jesus to feel included. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Jesus. Jesus was the man for others, the man for others. There's another story we love about Jesus. Uh, Matthew reported this one in his biography. Uh, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuke them. They're like, do you know how important he is? This is an important man. Stay away. Uh, He's not approachable to you because he's so important. The disciples rebuke them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Uh, People at that time kept rabbis and so-called holy men at a respectful distance. You would never approach them. But Jesus was shockingly accessible. I mean, think about this story. Children were were comfortable in his presence. Uh, Here's the crazier one. Parents were comfortable handing their infants over to a complete stranger to hold and to bless. Now, how many of you with little kids are comfortable handing your babies to complete strangers? 
No way. You're not even comfortable handing them to some of your family members you're so afraid. Now, you know some of your family members. Maybe that's the reason. But, uh, I mean, that's a big deal. Uh, Parents just don't hand their children over to anybody. And yet parents were so comfortable with Jesus, just hand their kids over to him. Children were so comfortable with him, they would just readily approach him. The Pharisees at that time believed that if they touched the the clothing of common people, they would be corrupted. Uh, For that reason, Pharisees, they walked on the sides of the street, not down the middle of the street, by the sides, because they didn't want to be tarnished by the touch of ordinary people. Um, I, I love this, uh, the way in the, in the message paraphrase, Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. How many of you are glad that even though we're sinners, Jesus treats us like old friends? Just like old friends. Uh, Victory is his name. Redemption is his name. Holiness is his name. And accessibility is his name. Les Parrott writes, He made sinners feel so comfortable that it often made pious people feel uncomfortable. Perhaps it was because Jesus knew so much rejection in his own life. You know, I've never had that thought. It's kind of an obvious thought. But that had never occurred to me. Perhaps it was because Jesus knew so much rejection in his own life. I mean, after all, his life was defined by rejection. Uh, his, his neighbors laughed at him. His family questioned his sanity. His closest friends betrayed him. And his countrymen eventually tried him as a revolutionary. Maybe that's why Jesus was so inclusive of those who were also rejected, the riffraff fringe who were rarely included by others. Or maybe it's because Jesus, the God-man, simply had immeasurable understanding and insight into our longing for belonging. Whatever the reason, make no mistake, Jesus went out of his way to embrace the unloved and unworthy. He went out of his way to be approachable to everyone. And that same Jesus is here in this room. That same Jesus, if you're watching online or in Kalispell or in Arco, uh, that same Jesus is, is right there in the room. And here's what he says. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Right now, in the quietness of this moment, just like Pastor Greg gave you an invitation earlier that you just look in front of you there in your book rack and, and you'll see this little uh, insert here, this little uh, resource guide. And it'll give you a guidance for some scriptures of the steps to, to open your heart to Jesus. And a little suggested prayer, which basically says the same thing. Open the door, Jesus, come on in. Basically, that's what that little prayer on this card says. Just open the door of your heart. Uh, let him in. And he'll come in because even though he is holy, even though he created the universe He is still very, very approachable. Now, what keeps us from being approachable? One word, pride. Pride is the one thing that keeps us from being approachable like Jesus. John Stott said, pride is our greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. Jesus told another story that Luke records. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, 
Jesus told this parable or this story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. We talked last Sunday about how tax collectors are just hated by everybody. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Boy, wouldn't this be a great guy, to college roommate? I mean, I'm telling you, you know, wouldn't this be a great guy to be stuck with somewhere in a social setting? I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here, for example. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Uh, God is calling us uh, to be humble in that way, just like Jesus was. John Favell writes, They that know God will be humble, and they that know themselves cannot be proud. Uh, Peter wrote, All of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Uh, the story is told, supposedly a true story, about Thomas Jefferson, third president of the United States, wrote the Declaration of Independence, one of the greatest men um, that, that ever lived. And uh, they were, Thomas Jefferson and about nine or ten other men were all on horses about to cross a rushing river. And that was the only way you could get across this river is if you went by horseback. They could, they could walk across it. You couldn't, you couldn't swim across, especially if you couldn't swim. And so this one man was walking instead of riding a horse. And so he looked to the men that were riding horses to see if he could catch a ride with one of them across the river. And the one he picked out of these ten men he picked Thomas Jefferson, and he goes up to him, and he didn't know who he was, didn't know who he was from anybody, didn't know he was famous, didn't know he was a great man, didn't know his president, just went up to Thomas Jefferson, and he said, sir, would you let me ride the back of your horse? And Jefferson said, sure, and so he got on the back of the horse, went over to the other side. Well, the other men went over to this guy and said, do you, do you know who that was? And then they asked him the question, why did you pick him over anybody else in the group of nine or ten men? And he said this, he said, that man had a face that said yes. That guy had a face that said yes. Do you know people whose face says yes? Do you know people whose face says no? <laughs> there are people like that too. A research shows that a smile of just four one thousandths of a second is enough, even though you can't, it's subliminal. You can't even tell you got smiled at. It's so quick, four one-thousandths of a second, that is enough, researchers find, to produce a mini emotional high in other people. Research shows that when somebody receives that kind of smile, they view life more positively. A boring material becomes more interesting. A food tastes better. Um, and, and these kind of smiles are contagious. It's like yawning. You know how somebody yawns? Some of you are doing it right now, and it's contagious uh, across here. Uh, Yawns are contagious, and, and, and smiles are contagious in the way. You know, one of the, the greatest things you can do of ministry when you come here on, on Sunday morning is just, uh, just a smile to other people, especially people that it's their first time here, and they're feeling a little insecure, and what have I gotten myself into here, you know? And, and just that 
uh, can, can open the door. <laughs> My wife, Kimberly, it was so funny. Uh, the Easter services, she always comes to all three services, and particularly she makes it to the 8 o'clock service so that she can kind of critique me before we go over to the Fairplex and kind of tell me what to sharpen up a little bit. And her one major critique of me was that when Pastor Brian and Pastor Eric were up here preaching and I was on the stool back there, she said, you just had this frozen smile on your face, like, like a moron kind of. And, and, and it's because I was so concerned not to do the other that just the whole time I'm like. And so she's, you know, your wife ever tell you that? Wipe that moron smile off your face. So then I tried to balance it a little bit with like neutral and then smile and just try to do that. But, but my heart was in the right place. Which is, I knew what a bummer it is to sit there and somebody else is preaching. You're like, you know, you're, you're just totally out of it. I, I was trying at least. Now, what Jesus taught us about um, uh, being approachable. What did he teach us about this? How to be more approachable like Jesus. Number one, radical service for others. Number two, radical concern for others. And then number three, radical love for others. Jesus said this in, in, in Luke 6, 27. He said, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, I want to give you an assignment for this next week. We're going to go on an adventure together uh, as a church. I'm going to challenge us, starting with myself and all of us, do something radically approachable this week. And I want you just to look. The Holy Spirit's going to set up an, an appointment for you. And I want you just to have your eyes open this week to look for an opportunity to be radically approachable like Jesus. And I want you to email me any examples that you come up with, any things that happened to you. Maybe I can share a couple of them next Sunday. But let, let's all, starting with myself, let's just look for opportunities this week to be radically approachable as Jesus was approachable.